Okay, I know what you're thinking. That guy looks a lot like the youth pastor, Taylor Duke. It's okay, though. I got a haircut. The man, gun is go- the man bun is good. Don't clap. <laughs> Some people, come on. Come on. No, it was time. It was, it was long. It was, no, no, it's no more. No. Hey, I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. I love this time of year. And Thanksgiving is just, uh, it's incredible. I love to be able to eat lots of food, which I did. I had three different Thanksgivings. And I had the traditional one with my family on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, and that was great. It was, it was hectic and crazy. And that's about it. Uh, you might have had something similar to that. Uh, or I had one with our students on uh, last Wednesday, and we got to share a meal together a- as a youth group. And it was just a lot of fun to sit down, enjoy time, and, and not just our normal Wednesday nights, but just a night to share with each other. And then I did one with our uh, middle schoolers, our fifth and sixth graders last Saturday. And it was not your typical feast. Uh, what we did instead of like potatoes and turkey and carrots and green bean casserole, we had Taco Bell tacos, we had Chick-fil-A sandwiches, we had uh, Sonic Tots and uh, Arby's sliders. And it, it, to be honest with you, it was probably my favorite dinner just because who doesn't love like your favorite fast food uh, items all at once? And so I loved it. I told the kids it was for them, but it was, it was for me. Uh, it was fun. And I just love this time of year. I love getting to be with family. I love to get to see old friends. And it's just a, always a great time, no matter how crazy it is. And we've been in this series now for a few weeks, Collision. When I hear the word collision, I, I think of an accident. I, I think of it as something that you don't choose to do. No one, no one chooses to get into a collision. You try to avoid collisions. And why is that? I think, I think the, we don't have to look any further than the definition. The definition of a collision says an instance of one moving object or person striking violently against another. Collisions by nature are violent. And we've been talking about in this series how we as Christians face the collisions in our lives. Pastor Joe talked a few weeks ago about how we react when our faith collides. That is how Christians can come through these collisions without damaging our faith. And he talked about last week about Nehemiah and how he faced the collision with his opposition, how he came through that. And when I, when I think of a collision, I, I think back to seventh grade. When I was in seventh grade, I was like any seventh grade boy. I, I wanted a bicycle, but not any bicycle. I wanted a BMX trick bike. Not that I could do any tricks, but if I had the bike, maybe I could get airborne. And so I saved up my money, my Christmas money and birthday money and any job, odd jobs I did, and I bought a Husky BMX bike. And this wasn't just any BMX bike. This had pegs on the back and the front wheel so I could have my friends ride if I want. It had shocks. It even had the special handlebars where the brakes, you could spin the handlebars all the way around uh, while you're midair. Uh, I didn't have enough time in the two inches that I could get it off the ground. Um, but if I, if I could, I, I could have done those things. And it was, it was an incredible bike and I was so excited to have it. And where I grew up, as we walked to school, it was three quarters of a mile away from where I lived. And so we had to walk to school and it was, there was a big hill there. And so I, t- I, I walked to school both hills, 
uh, both ways uphill. And one time we even did it in the snow because one of the grandmas walked to school. And so they said, if she's 90 and can do it, you're 13 and can do it. And so we had to to do that. So I I can't wait to tell my son that he's going to walk to school one day. Um, But we had this hill. And so if you walked, it took about 15 minutes to get to school. So if you rode a bike, it took about three to five minutes. So we had to wait longer if you were riding a bike. And so my parents made me wait. And eventually it came the time where I could leave and go. And so I'm furiously riding and pedaling. And one thing about me is I hate being late. Is I'd rather be 20 minutes early than a minute late. Just it's something that bugs me. It's, I think it's probably from growing up in a large family is when you have 14 people trying to get to one area is it takes a lot of moving parts. And so we were late constantly. And so I hate being late. So I'm pedaling madly, trying to get to school so I can go play basketball. And by my play basketball, I mean sit on the sidelines because I didn't get picked because I was terrible at basketball. Uh, but is I wanted to get there. And so I'm pedaling. And on this road is there's a dirt path part. And all the dirt had washed away. And there's only rocks. And so I hit this large rock. And then I collide with the earth, and the earth did not give. And on this path was Flint Rock. If you know anything about Flint Rock, it's what they made arrowheads out of. And so in northeast Oklahoma, there's Flint Rock everywhere. And so my knee collides with the ground, and I I slice my kneecap, or my knee open. And I have a nice six-inch scar across my knee from that. And luckily, there was two girls who were very slow walkers. And so as they're walking, they're 100 yards in front of me. They hear me screaming hysterically like a little girl, and they think it's some grandma has fallen. Uh, But I have fallen, and I'm screaming because I can't get up. And they... They come and help me. They get an adult and they come and we get my mom on the phone. She comes to come take me to the hospital and she's going slowly. And when she finally sees this gaping hole in my leg, she takes me to Asylum Springs and we go to the ER and I get in a wheelchair and I'm wheeled inside and the nurse asks, what's going on? At this time, I have a towel over my leg covering, uh, trying to stop some of the blood. And she she uh, asked what happens. I tell her, well, I, I fell off my bike and I, I cut my leg open. And so I wasn't trying to be too dramatic. And she's like, oh, okay. Well, I, I cut my leg when I was your age on a bike. And she, she tells me about this little scar she has. I'm like, oh, that's, that's cool. It's like, we're, we're alike. And she removes the towel and she sees this gaping hole in my leg and she sees the bone and it, part of the bone's chipped from the rock. And, and so I had this collision. And, and so we go into surgery. I come out and so they can clean it all up. And, and I'm recovering and I had to learn how to make my leg work the correct way after being in a brace for several months and using crutches. And so this impact, this collision didn't just affect me in the moment. It affected me for months to come and it's affected me down my life as my knee is not as good as it should be. And I'm guessing I'm not, uh, I'm not the, uh, you, I'm guessing you haven't had a collision like this. Hopefully not. Maybe, maybe you've had a collision more like I've had more recently, and it's at your home, and it's in the dark. You're stumbling around, and you bump into a, a table or a bed frame. You stub your shin or your toe, and you're trying to get around and trying to miss the dog and not step on the cats. You guys laugh. We're actually trying to step on the cats, but... It's in spite. It's okay. Uh, but you're trying to miss all those things, and you stub your toe. And so in my house is, I don't know if the builders don't like light uh, when they built it in the 80s. I don't know if that w- wasn't in uh, being a vampire or something. And so there's like 
only a few lights in my house. In my hallway, there's one bubble light at the very end of the hallway. And so I installed one of those little LED outlets that shines into your uh, floor. And so I can see, I'm not tripping over the dog as it lays there. But then in my house, I also installed LED bulbs. And I love LED bulbs because one, they're cheap and two, they're super bright. And I, I love lights. And so I have these bulbs and even have some that are like 700 lumens, which is like almost like the sun, I think, because my son, when he wakes up in his room and they come on, is he's squinting and he can't see and he gets really angry. And so I have all these bright bulbs. I love the light in my home because I want to see. And the great thing about light is, is you can take it some places. And that's why I love lanterns. I love flashlights is because I can take this anywhere. And so I can see and I think one of the reasons that I like to see and like light so much is because I am blind. You guys don't see it, but I wear glasses that are about a quarter inch thick. Uh, and so I have terrible vision. So I like to see things clearly. And so with a lantern, I can take it around to, to where things are dark and I can shine the light there. I can take it outside. I love to go outside because uh, I have all these trees around me and I can shine the flashlight or shine a lantern up in the trees. I can see and look for different things and, and things that are hidden become revealed. And I can see everything now. But here's the real question. Is light always a good thing? Now, I just re-shiplapped or, or shiplapped a wall in my home. And if you don't know what shiplap is, that means you don't watch HGTV and you don't know who Joanna Gaines is. And that's a good thing. Don't look it up, ladies. Guys, it'll save you. Cut the cable. But is it's where you take uh, shiplap is pre-sheetrock. Used to be is you'd shiplap a wall and then you'd plaster it and then they invent sheetrock and it's so much easier. But it's a style that's in my wife wanted shiplap. And so I did that and it's great because when, when you turn that light off, I did a perfect job. It is amazing. There's, you don't see anything. It's just like the boards are perfectly lined up straight. There's no gaps. There's no runs, nothing. But, but when you turn that light back on, you start to see the imperfections. You start to see where the paint ran a little bit. You start to see where I messed up and the board's a little bit wavy. But when you turn that light off, man, it looks good again. Everything looks perfect. And this phenomenon doesn't just work with construction. Can I, can I be honest with you? When I, when I shine a light on myself, it starts to reveal things on, in me. It starts to reveal the things that I've done, the mistakes that I've made. And I'm guessing I'm not the only one who feels this way when light shines on us. So why are we so afraid to shine a light on our lives? Sometimes we just want the light to just to point to certain areas and we say, look, look here. Look at, look at the good things I've done. Look at my good deeds. Look at my selfless acts. Don't, don't look over here and we start, we start hiding and shielding the light and, and we start getting used to that. And so we start to cover the light because we don't want people to see our, our moral failures. We don't want people to see something that, that we're not proud of. We don't want to see a bad choice that we made. And we all have things that we want to keep hidden from others because we're ashamed of them. Things that we don't want the light to touch. And when you shine a light on your life, it starts revealing things that are hidden. And whether it's because we don't want people to see what we have hidden or we don't want to accept those things ourselves, is we end up living in darkness. 
The bad thing about darkness, though, is as our eyes start to adjust to the light, when we become used to getting around the darkness, fine. We get used to the darkness, and it doesn't bother us as much anymore. And eventually, it might not even bother us at all. But just because we're okay with being in the light, it doesn't mean that's okay to be in the light. But thankfully, we're not the first people to struggle with this, with, with trying to hide things in our life. It's 2,000 years ago, there was a culmination of darkness. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be there in a few moments. At this particular point in history, is there was a very heavy darkness. The Israelites, God's chosen people, they were ruled by another kingdom, the Roman Empire. And their king, King Herod the Great, he wasn't even Jewish. He was an Edomite. He converted to Judaism, and he was now ruling the Jewish nation. And Herod, is, is he was a sympathizer with the Roman Empire, and so he put Rome's need above his own people's need, and he would do things so he could stay in power. And he was so paranoid that he would lose power, that he would lose his throne, that he had his own family members executed if he, they started to threaten his reign. But there was also a spiritual darkness at this time. The Israelites, they hadn't heard from God since Malachi talked about that God would send another Elijah. And that had been 400 years ago. God's own people hadn't even heard from him. And there was four groups vying for leadership of the Jews, telling people the correct way to have a relationship with God. You had the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were very legalistic, and they were trying to shape life through traditions. And so the law said to don't do certain things. Well, they would make their own rules back here so you wouldn't get close to the law and say, don't cross this line. Well, eventually the line became the law and it became important, more important than the law. And so they were more focused on not crossing this line instead of honoring God with their lives. And you had the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, they were the opposites of the Pharisees. They, they didn't like the legalistic lifestyle that the Pharisees led. They only trusted the Mosaic law, the first five books of the Bible. And so they would do opposite of what the Pharisees did. They, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They, they didn't believe in angels and demons. And then you had the, the Essenes. And the Essenes, they removed themselves from everyone else. And they devoted their life to God and that's where they, we get the, some of the Old Testament from the Dead Sea Scrolls. These are the people who scribed the Dead Sea Scrolls. They, they devoted themselves to God, and they devoted themselves to praying for the destruction of the Roman Empire. And then you have the Zealots. And the Zealots is what we call modern-day radicals. They were wanting the destruction of Rome, but they weren't going to do it through just prayer. They were going to do it by force and through violence. So you have these four groups and you have this darkness going on. The Israelites, they, they didn't want a collision. They wanted a change to happen. They wanted to be a great nation again. They wanted the good old days when, when gold was flowing throughout the land, when other kings and queens would, would search out their kings to ask for wisdom and advice, when their armies were destroying other armies and defeating other nations. And when I think of the type of change that the Israelites were wanting, I think of something big happening. I think of someone like King David 
riding in on a horse with his army and conquering Rome and defeating their enemies and setting the nation of Israel free again. Or, or I think of someone like King Josiah, someone who would turn the heart of the people back to God and there'd be a spiritual renaissance happening. Or I hear a battle cry like Gideon and his 300 men who defeated the army. And we hear a cry, all right, but it's not from a mighty warrior. The cry comes from an infant. And from before time began, as God had a plan already, and he gives us hints and glimpses of this plan all throughout the Old Testament. And the Israelites had picked up on some of these clues throughout time, and they knew that there was going to be someone who would come and eventually rescue them and save them. But they were expecting someone like King David, someone to ride in with a cavalry and free them. They were expecting a violent show of force. But God's plan was not by force, but by love. Look at me with, with Luke chapter 2. Verse six and seven it says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Okay, I jumped ahead. Let me, let me back up real quick. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was empty and void. And God started to fill it with fish and animals and trees and land and eventually humans. And the world was perfect. Everything was right. Man had dominion and walked with God in the garden. And it was, it was amazing. And there was a relationship between God and man. And then we screwed it up and we introduced sin into the world. And that relationship became fractured and we couldn't be around God because of our sin because of the darkness there. And so what does God do? Well, he starts putting his plan in motion. The one he already knew was going to happen before the world began, before he said, let there be light. And so he goes to a man named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I am going to bless the entire world through your offspring. And then a few centuries later, as that offspring grows, and there's now a great nation that is enslaved in Egypt, and God tells Moses, you're going to set my people free, and you're going to take them to the land that I promised Abraham. And so Moses starts leading them away. And they get there, and a few centuries later, they, they, they have some judges, and eventually they have a king. They're like the rest of the nations. They decide that they didn't want God to be their leader. They wanted a man to rule them. And so they have King David, and King David's a great guy. He, he's a man after God's own heart at, while he's young. And then eventually, people start slipping away, and God sends prophets to say, turn from your evil ways. Do what you're commanded to do. And they do it for a little while, and they turn, and God keeps giving them chances. And eventually, God sends Malachi, and Malachi ends his prophecies with, I will send another Elijah. And then there's 400 years of silence. And there's this darkness over the world. And God is not speaking to his people anymore. They wanted a change, but what they were about to get was a collision. So Caesar Augustus, is, he issues a decree that a census should be taken. And so everyone all around the Roman world, which is most of the world at that time, is to go and be registered 
And so there's this girl named Mary who's pregnant and she's scared and she's afraid because she is not married and she's, been, she's with child. There, there's her fiance, Joseph, who's going to try to divorce her quietly because of the child she has. But an angel appears to Joseph and says, this is not of man, this is of God. It is, she, is, she is set apart, her child is the savior that we've been talking about. This is the collision that's going to happen Stay with her. And so Joseph and Mary, they head to Bethlehem. And they go to Bethlehem because that's where King David was from. The shepherd boy who becomes the greatest king of Israel. And Joseph just happens to be a descendant of King David. But instead of the baby coming in a palace and being born with royalty, it's born in a stable because there's no room in the inn for anyone and so if you've ever been on a farm, you know what a stable smells like. You know it being around sweaty animals. And this trip was not some like jump in the, in the car, let's drive 30 minutes. It, it was 90 miles away. And for us, that takes an hour and a half if you drive the speed limit. But honestly, it's going to take us about an hour 15. And they have to go these 90 miles by foot and they walk this. And for most people, this trip would take four to 10 days. But when you have a wife that's nine months pregnant, it's going to take longer. My wife is seven months pregnant, and I wouldn't dare try to get her to walk 90 miles. And so they get there, and instead of a great warrior coming and a great king, as a baby, a helpless child is born into this world. The world was in darkness, but Jesus came violently crashing in to the darkness and brings life. And our sin, it causes us to live in darkness. And just like Jesus collided into the darkness 2,000 years ago, Jesus violently crashes into our darkness and shines a light on our lives. And I think the Apostle John, is he said it best in John 3.16, he says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may, that may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Jesus came into this world not, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Not to point a finger in your face and throw your sins in your face, but to love you and show you that there's a better way than being in the darkness. That there's a better option for us. The light has come. There's no denying that. There's no running from it. But, but, but people loved the darkness better. And why do we love darkness over light? It's, it's because we get used to the darkness. And, and when you shine darkness, if you've ever been in a dark room looking for the light switch and you flip it on, first thing you do is you start squinting and you start looking because it hurts your eyes, the light does. Even though it's a good thing at the moment, it hurts, and, and sometimes it's just easier to stumble around 
in the darkness than to have a momentary moment of, of light. And so people have chosen to run from the light instead of going to the light. But verse 21 says, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. It is when you come into the light as change starts to happen in your life. And there's a switch where before is you were used to the darkness and the light hurt. Well, then it switches where now you're used to the light. And if you are around darkness, you have to adjust it and it's not easy to see in the darkness. And so you want light again. And so that change begins. And so John gives us two options, I think. We can either run from the light or we can run for the light and go to it and let the light shine in our lives. John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Jesus is one light that cannot be turned off, that will never go dim. Jesus made a collision, a, a violent impact with the darkness that you were in. Jesus came into our mess. Jesus came to shine a light, not because of anything we did, but because God so loved the world. So what part of your life do you need to shine a light into? Maybe you're here today and you're living in darkness and you never even realized that you were in darkness. Come into the light. Come talk to us afterwards. We love to talk to you about what that means. Maybe, maybe you're, you're hiding parts of your light and you're letting the light only hits certain areas and you're shielding it or you're wrapping it up because you don't want other people to see it. You don't, you don't think that they'll, they'll love you anymore. You don't think your church family will accept you if they know your sins. Why, why is that? Come into the light. Let the light shine. It hurts for a moment, but it gets better. It becomes easier and you become used to it and you start to change or maybe you're being selfish with your light. Maybe you bring your light here on the weekends or you have it at home or your life groups, but you're not taking it anywhere else. It only shines in a few places. Life, it, light is not meant to be kept to ourselves. It's not something we're, we're to hoard. It's something that, that we're to share. The, the thing I love about a lantern is that they're not contained to one place. You can take it anywhere. These lights, they are, they are mounted, they are stuck here, they shine here. But a lantern, I can take this anywhere that there is darkness and I can shine it in the darkness. It doesn't matter where it is. We need to be like lanterns. We need to be running to the darkness. We need to take our light out into the world. We need to take it to our homes. We need to take it to our neighbors. We need to take it to our jobs. There's a song I remember growing up called Carry Your Candles by a guy named Chris Rice. And this song has stuck with me over the years. And a few of the words, it says, carry your candle, run to the darkness. Take your candle and go light your world. Imagine what it would look like in our community if each of us made our responsibility to be a light, to be a collision with those around us. If we didn't see the waiter as someone who messed up our order, but someone who needs to know they are loved and they are important. If we didn't see our boss as a jerk who's trying to make our lives miserable, 
but as someone that we get to practice grace and forgiveness on. If we view the time spent with that one family member, you, you know the one, the one that, that makes it difficult to go to Thanksgiving, to go to Christmas, that makes you doubt wanting to do it. I have other things. I, I don't want to be around them, and so I'm going to make an excuse. What if we use that as an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with them, just like Jesus has loved us? I want to leave us with these two questions. Are you going to run from the light? Are you going to stay in the darkness and allow it to hide you? Or are you going to run for the light and embrace it and let it shine on you and let your light shine in the world? What are you going to choose to do?